we haven't met yet, uh, it's been a while since I've taught here on Wednesday nights. If we haven't met, um, I'm Zach, one of the pastors here. Um, it's my pleasure, it's my pleasure to be able to uh, uh, go through God's word with you tonight. So uh, we are going to be continuing in our study uh, through First Timothy. Uh, so uh, we're going to be in First Timothy chapter 4. If you don't have a Bible, uh, raise your hand nice and high. Um, and then I'm going to commission James back there to pass you out a Bible. Thanks, James. Yeah, keep it night. Keep your hand raised nice and high. We're going to be in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12. And some of you, when you look at the first verse, will laugh a little bit. Um, just to give you a background of, I think, why I'm here. Um, <laughs> you know, you never know for sure with Pastor Rob, but... Uh, it's interesting, you know, uh, earlier this week on a, on a Sunday night, you know, I was confiding in Pastor Rob and, you know, I was, uh, I was letting him know just a few of the things that I've been undergoing, um, the insecurities that I've been facing, the persecution, you know, some of the persecution I've been, uh, going through, you know, I was just talking to him about, you know, some of my, some of my issues, right? And, and, you know, Pastor Rob, you know, he, he's faithful to listen, right? Not always, he doesn't always give you the answer that you expect, you know? Um, but he, uh, I was, I was just, I was confiding in him about, uh, my, my insecurity of being so young, right? My insecurity of being, you know, just just such a young pastor, right? It's uh, I've been doing I've been doing pastoral ministry. I've only been a pastor for uh, almost a couple of years, but I've, I've I've been in pastoral ministry since I was sixteen, you know, and and, and so and so I've I've always dealt with this uh, insecurity of being young, right? This and and it's not an insecurity bred out of nowhere, you know. A lot of people like to remind me of how young I am, right? <laughs> Um, and, uh, and how I don't have a place being a pastor, you know, that's, that's, that's something I get quite often. And instead of pastor Rob responding, um, to my, you know, to my, you know, what I was saying, uh, he sprung up on me earlier this afternoon that he wants me to teach. Right. And, uh, it happens to be first Timothy chapter four, verse 12. So if, uh, I will read and you guys will know exactly what I'm talking about. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12 says this, Let no one despise your youth, <laughs> but be an example to the believers in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Till I come, give attention to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Do not neglect the gift that is in you, which was given to you by prophecy with the laying of the hands of the eldership. Meditate on these things. Give yourself entirely to them, that your progress may be evident to all. Take heed to yourself and to doctrine. Continue in them. For in doing this, you will save both yourself and those who hear you. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, uh, I, I implore of you tonight, God, that your spirit would speak and your spirit would speak only. God, that, uh, that your words may be known tonight. Lord, we, we do not seek necessarily to discover more about how we can be better people or how we can apply a certain moral concept, Lord, but we simply want to know more about who you are and who you say we are. God, and as, as we learn more about ourselves, God, that, that we would be inspired, Lord, to walk in greater mission for you. So Jesus, allow this word, um, God, to come alive. It is already alive, but to come alive in our hearts, Jesus. Uh, Father, this, this text uh, 
it addresses someone who is a youth Lord, but the principle remains the same of setting an example to the believers. And so I, I just pray that we would all be able to uh, extrapolate something from this scripture tonight, that you would minister to each heart, no matter how old, how young uh, people are, Lord, that this scripture might be able to minister to our hearts dearly, God, and draw us closer to your side. And so we pray all of these things knowing that you are going to be faithful and that your Holy Spirit is more than adequate to intercede on our behalf, Lord. We pray these things in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Amen. So, uh, you know, as I alluded to um, already in that awkward introduction, um, uh, for those of you that aren't familiar with my role or my history here at the church, um, I have been here for about seven years now at the church. I've been uh, in ministry here for about seven years. And uh, when I was when I was 16, got my license, you know, uh, I, I did everything that a 16 year old with a new license does. Right. You know, just doing all the things that a 16 year old ever wants to do. Right. And reaping uh, the consequences of that. Right. And, uh, you know, getting to know just the world. Right. And and understanding, you know, what the world has to offer. And it's just very interesting how uh, at 16, you know, it was, it was a very formidable time in my life because, you know, when I got my license, when I discovered freedom, um, I started to dabble in the freedoms of this world. Right. And it only took me a few months to realize this is not this. This isn't good. Right. It, it, I, I'm not I don't have one of those testimonies of uh, diving into the world for years and years and in the muck of debauchery and drug addiction. You know, the Lord pulls me out. That's that's not necessarily my my testimony. My testimony is I, I tried a little bit of it knew right away. It doesn't work. So I just clung you know, closer to Jesus, right? Um, that, that's more of my testimony. And, and when, when I, I gained the freedom uh, to, you know, choose for myself what path I would go on, I decided to leave the church that um, my father was pastoring at at the time, Pastor Brett. Uh, for those of you that know Pastor Brett but don't know me, I'm, he's my dad, right? Um, I, I decided to leave uh, the church that he was pastoring at, and uh, uh, he was pastoring in Calvary Chapel, Santa Barbara. And, and, and I, I just decided to start looking, right? Right? And um, I ended up going to Reality Carpinteria. For those of you that are familiar with that, I, I, I went to Reality for about six months and really got a uh, just got my footing in, in what it means to be a Christian outside of whatever home or whatever church I'm placed in. Right? I, I got an idea of how to extrapolate the word. I got an idea of what grace really meant. Right? Um, you can grow up in the church your whole life, but there's a certain moment in time where you know you understood grace. Right? And, and that, that's where it kicked in for me. Uh, six months there, I decided to go somewhere close to home, you know, because I was going to high school here. My mom lived here. And so I, I decided to find a church. My dad said, well, I know this guy. Awesome. His name is Rob, right? Um, we used to be friends with him when we lived in Thousand Oaks. And so I, you know, I started coming here, right? I started coming here. I sat right in that back corner, right in the right over there. Um, I, I, I sat there every single, you know, Sunday I could, Wednesday nights, you know, I was just here. Some of you were here and I was here, right? You know, I was back there, you know, just, just trying to just soak up the word. I eventually got affiliated with the youth group, right? Um, and this, this is all in just a year's time, okay? So remember this, this is all in just in, in, in a year. 
and I was still 16 and my, my father actually, you know, got reconnected with Rob and my dad actually came on staff here at the church, right? And while that was happening, I was interning here at the church. Within six months of me attending here, I ended up interning here. And then all of a sudden there was no junior high guy to take care of the junior hires. And I'm a 16 year old turning 17 soon and there's no one to watch the junior hires, right? And, and for some crazy, weird, awkward reason, uh, I became a 16-year-old shepherding 13-year-olds, right? And that's how I got started in pastoral ministry. Uh, that, that's just, that, that's my testimony. And so, and so I remember, I remember very vividly when I became the official junior high guy. It took a while because people were still in denial, right? Uh, that, that, I, that I was doing this, right? That I was teaching these kids and that I was, I was their, their, quote, youth pastor. Um, and I remember vividly uh, the first parent meeting. <laughs> I, rem- I remember the, vividly the first parent meeting. And the first parent meeting did not go well. Needless to say, after that first parent meeting with being laid into by, uh, by people who doubted my abilities, and rightfully so, <laughs> um, I got emails and letters and all different types of people telling me that I, I shouldn't and I wasn't qualified. You know? and that was the beginning of my shepherding as a young man. You know, as a young man, you know, you are faced, you know, there, there is a stereotype, right? You know, I, I come from the generation known as millennials. Some of you millennials in here, you know, like, yeah, millennials, they're all like, they, they all look at me like this. Yeah, <laughs> you know, uh, because we are not liked. We're not. We're not liked by society. They don't like us, right? Uh, they feel as though we are entitled. We are spoiled. Uh, we're, we're ignorant. We have no respect for history, right? And so as a millennial, uh, as a millennial outside of leadership, even, you are automatically met with doubt. You're automatically met with people despising you as Timothy was. Automatically, you have the, no matter how, people don't have to know you, you're young, they don't have to know who you are. You're young, so obviously they're better than you, right? They're wiser than you. They're smarter than you. And so, and all of this to say, all of this to say is that I, I want to let you know that I, 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 I associate here, and I want to speak to you the heart of this passage. The heart of this passage where Paul says, let no one despise your youth. Let no one despise your youth. And, and, and I, I don't want you guys to already get discouraged and saying, all right, Zach's just going to talk about young people the whole time. That's not necessarily true, but you can insert youth with whatever way people doubt you. In, in, in whatever way people are doubting you, where you feel insecure or not worthy, that doesn't have to be your age. It could be your vocation. It could be your education. It could be in whatever way you feel like compared to others, you are looked down upon for whatever reason. And for Timothy at this time, Paul saying to this young man, Timothy, we, we don't know the exact age he was. Uh, we know that he started ministry with Paul around between the ages of 13 and 16. That's when he started doing ministry with Paul. And by the time he was the pastor of the church of Ephesus alongside John, the apostle, he was anywhere between the ages of 20 and 35. 
And that's, that's a very, you know, that's a very broad age for you, just in case those of you who are Bible nerds are like, well, it's actually precisely, I think I got it right, right? Somewhere between the age of 20 and 35, right? It says, let no one despise you for your youth. Let no one despise you. Despise here is a strong word, huh? <laughs> despise is a very strong word. It says, let no one despise you because you are young. In the Greek, it is kataphronio. Uh, kataphronio. <laughs> um, uh, it, it also, it, it shares roots with catastrophe, right? Um, where it means regard to regard with contempt or to look at someone with little or no value. So when Paul is saying, don't let anyone despise you because of your youth, it means don't let them look at you with contempt or devalue you as a pastor, right? Don't let them look down on you. Don't let them despise you. Don't let them mock you. Don't let them regard you with contempt. That is what Paul is saying here, right? And for those of you that are like, all right, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to get a grip of this passage, even though I'm not in the age range of Timothy. Once again, insert whatever type of insecurity, whatever type of way you feel inadequate in here with youth. And 1 Timothy 4, 12 through 16, at times for me, guys, at times for me as a young preacher, as a young pastor, right? I I regard myself as a pastor first and a preacher second. Preaching is not my primary ministry, right? I I like discipling people. And, and, And so, and so, I, I can identify with Timothy who was not primarily a preaching pastor. That was John's job. Just the other day, I, I was officiating a funeral, right? I was officiating a funeral just, just earlier this past week. And after the funeral, um, I had several people, enough for it to be like a theme of the day, right? Enough of, enough for it to be like, ah, oh, like, you know, whatever. But I got enough people, right? In, in several different occasions throughout that time, uh, telling me how awkward and how inappropriate it was for my, for someone of my age to be officiating a funeral, right? So I, I got a lot of that, that, you know, it's like, about three or four different instances of that, right? And, and, and I, I've had people write me letters and emails telling me that I shouldn't be a pastor, all of that stuff. And, and so I, I'm saying this not to, for you to feel bad for me, so please don't. If for some of you are like, oh, you know, like, don't, no, stop. That's not the point of this. It's not the point. It's expected, and, and I, I do this to empathize with any of you in here that have experienced something like this. Where it is expected to have persecution coming from the world, is it not? Obviously. That, that is a warning, that is a, uh, a right almost of Christians, right? That is, that is a badge of honor, persecution, in, in Scripture, right? Oh, how blessed are those who are persecuted for my name's sake, Jesus says. So there is this expectation of being, uh, of being blasphemed, of being persecuted by the world. Because, and, and, and you know what? It's okay. And there's a specific guard we put over our hearts when dealing with non-believers, right? You know, anytime you talk with a non-believer about Christ, it's not like, it, it's not like you're expecting them to automatically embrace you and love you, right? You know what you're telling them is uncomfortable, so you put this, you already have this expectation of rejection, 
right? You already have this expectation that people in the world are going to be mean sometimes, right? You have that. But, but when persecution comes from people within Christ's body, that tends to sting the most, doesn't it? Right? And if you have not experienced it because of your age, you've experienced it maybe with something else. Right? You've experienced some sort of persecution within the body of Christ. Right? Not without. Because on the outside, it's like, of course they're going to ridicule me. Of course they're not going to accept me. It's the world. But when you come into a safe environment that is supposed to be the body of Christ, a holy priesthood, a temple built upon the foundations of the teachings and the love of Jesus Christ, you expect to come here and be treated with some sort of dignity and respect, despite your background, age, profession, education, right? But you know that's not always the case, right? It's not, it's not always the, the, the case, you know? We can all, in some ways, identify with Timothy. We can all, in some ways, identify with him here, because Timothy, he is not, he's not receiving persecution or uh, being despised from the outside. He's being despised, being considered, being, being held with contempt, being devalued by other people in the church, right? And some of you, some of you who have lived long enough, have lived long enough to experience something with a church you were super close with, Right? I, I, I'm not ignorant to the fact that some of you in here have used to be incredibly involved at one church and were perhaps burned by it, right? And, and, and were away from the church for a while and finally found refuge in another one, right? So, so I know that this is true if you've been a Christian long enough that you have experienced some sort of persecution for who you are, for your education, for something you said, whatever it may be wrongfully accused or devalued because of whatever in your life. And Paul's response is incredibly interesting to me. I I, I find Paul's response funny, right? I find it hilarious because I think maybe once again, just the millennial in me, Right. But but I expect when 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 I'm feeling persecuted or beat down, I I expect what I would expect from Paul is like an oh Timothy. Don't listen to them. You're great. You know, like, don't don't listen to them. You're my special boy. You know, like just just there, you know, or, or what millennials would say is haters will hate, you know, haters will hate. Right. And it's just like, oh, you know, it's just them, right? It's just, they're, they're, you know, they don't know. You're special. You're great. You're perfect, right? And, and that's what we may expect when receiving persecution, when in an argument with someone and we're venting to somebody else, we might expect to hear, don't listen to them. They're, you're awesome. They just don't know how special you are, right? They just don't know how amazing you are, right? What I love about Paul's response is that it is blunt and honest, is not pandering to Timothy's insecurities, yet gives him empowerment. Where he says, in response to them despising him, he says, don't let them. Don't let them despise you. Oh, but, but, they're, but they're, you know, they're saying these things and they're talking about me behind my back. Don't let them. Stop letting them. 
As if it was Timothy who was the source of this, right? Not the hatred of people around him, but rather Timothy saying, well, I've allowed them to, right? Where, where Paul says, let no one despise your youth. Don't let them. That's Paul's response. I find it incredibly interesting. Don't let them despise you for being young. Some people are respected purely because of their age and their experience. And it, and it doesn't matter how much of a wretch they are. But just because they're, they're older, they have more experience, somehow they're holier than you. But you, Timothy, but you, Timothy, you don't have that privilege. You don't have the privilege of experience in time. You don't have age for people to automatically give you whatever source of respect. So you must be an example. And you can't be an example simply getting through life experiences. One thing you will get from me, other than what I just told you, is like all the life experience I have, right? What, what I just told you beforehand, that is my whole life, right? I don't got much more life experience than that, right? It doesn't like, I don't have like stories for you, okay? I have not accumulated enough time to give you guys interesting stories about my life. My life is relatively boring as far as nice spiritual stories go. Right? And it was the same with Timothy. He can't gain credibility in any way except in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in purity. It was Timothy's only means of gaining credibility with anybody around him was in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, and in purity. He had no life experience to back up on. He, had, he didn't outrank anybody. This is all that he had to work with. And my encouragement to you, in whatever area of life you are in, whatever stage in life you are currently in, is that I want to remind you that in the eyes of God, this is the only credibility you need. Word. Go above and beyond in your study of Scripture. Be careful what you say. In conduct, serve the body of Christ, your community. In love, do not return hateful words for more hateful words. In spirit, be led by Christ's spirit. Don't follow your own whims, your own desires. In faith, Walk in boldness, trusting Christ will sustain you. In purity, do not walk according to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the continual renewing of your mind. Realize, realize something. In Paul's response, we realize that what Paul is saying is that you are not a victim of other people's opinions of you. And this, this, this is an encouragement to every single person in this room. Once again, you are not victim to how other people perceive you. You're not a victim of it. Because with Christ and the righteousness he offers, you have the ability to exercise his will in his character. 
I, I love what David Guzik says, who has a very similar testimony to my own. Pastor David Guzik, who's been here um, on Wednesday nights to teach you guys. He has a very similar testimony to myself. Started pastoring at 19. He said this. These are the criteria by which we assess a pastor. If he is smart, if he is funny, if he is cool, if he dresses sharp, if he has nice stories, if he is popular, or if he is any number of things that matter little. You must look for a pastor who is an example in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, and in purity. All the other things, as good as they may be, as amazing as they may be, are secondary. Are secondary. For those of you that are trying to lead a cause for Christ in whatever context you may find yourselves in, this is the criteria by which you must be assessed on. This is how you will win over the people. Be an example to them in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, and in purity. Not by yelling, not by arguing, not by defending yourself. That is, that is no way to silence people who speak wrong of you or who doubt you or have disdain against you. I love it in Romans 12 where it talks about persecution, right? It talks about being persecuted. And, and, and Paul goes on to say, he says, never repay evil for evil. Rather, overcome evil with good. Overcome evil with good. We live in a society and a culture where it may seem appropriate when someone says something mean about you or the principles you hold or whatever party you're affiliated with. We, we, we have this trigger in us that says, oh, well, it's free game now to just go back at them, right? It's free game to just argue back. Oh, atheists, you know, arguing against my God. Well, it's free game to yell now. It's free game to disrespect them. It's free game to disregard their humanity and just go for the jugular, right? But that is not how scripture describes how to deal with conflict, how to deal with people who doubt you, how to deal with people such as this. Scripture does not uh, point us in that direction. Rather, what Peter would give as an exhortation to people who are oppressed by their culture and their government, right? Um, which is something that many of us are, are, are feeling at this point in time in our, in our, in our government. We, we, we might feel oppressed. We might feel, uh, we might feel suppressed in certain ways. We might feel like our rights are being restricted and we're being backed into a corner. And, and, and sometimes we have this instinct like a dog to just snap at the people who back us into a corner. But scripture points us into a different direction, a direction that's very countercultural. Uh, it's a, it's a, it's a philosophy of turning the other cheek. And first Peter chapter two, verse 15, he would say this, for this is the will of God, that by doing good, you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. That is not by any necessarily argumentative rhetoric, or it's not by proving yourself that Timothy would get people to not despise him for his youth, that will get you to be respected among your co-workers. It is not by any sort of forcefulness, but rather good deeds. Not by any manner of warfare, rather progressing in a way that is peaceful 
and respectful of the dignity of other people. A righteous way, a better way. The constant temptation for me as a youth is to always prove myself. That is, that is my constant temptation. And I know it is a temptation for many of you in whatever ways you feel disrespected or feel inadequate. There's, there's some sort of thing inside of us that desires to overcompensate, right? To overcompensate for whatever we feel or have been told we lack. But what Peter says here is that by doing good, you put to silence the ignorance and the foolish men. In other words, he is echoing Paul's declaration to Timothy where he says, don't let them despise you because you're young. Don't let them. It's not a a matter of, okay, like, don't worry, Timothy. When I come back, I'll talk to him, right? It's not like daddy's going to help you now, right, and defend you. And not even saying, don't worry, Timothy. They'll have theirs when they talk to God, right? It's not even that. It's not even that. Paul implores Timothy the same way Peter implores everybody under the oppression of a government where he says, doing good will put them to silence. Being an example will put them to silence. Not whatever defense you make for yourself. Or pay no evil for evil. And what is good, you know? Where does righteousness come from? Where do do truly good deeds flow from? I want to read to you uh, one of my favorite passages in Scripture, and I say that about almost every single passage I read sometimes, but it's in Psalm 119. If you want to turn there, you can, but I'll I'll read it to you. you. I want you all to just listen. I'm going to try to do it justice in in the beautiful poetry that David lays out in Psalm 119. I'm not going to read the whole thing, don't worry. (laughs) For those of you that know what Psalm Psalm 119 is, the longest chapter in the entire Bible. Um, But I'm just going to read verses 1 through 12. And in, in answering this question, what are good deeds? Where do they come from? It comes from here. Psalm 119, verse 1. Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong, but walk in his ways. You have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes, O Lord. Then I shall not be put to shame, having my eyes fixed on your commandments. I will praise you with an upright heart. When I learn your righteous rules, I will keep your statutes. Do not utterly forsake me. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart, I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your ways. And answering the question where, where, where Peter says, uh, your good deeds will put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. When Paul says your good example will be what makes them to not despise you, that will be defense enough. We wonder, how can I be good? How can I set that example? Yes, word, conduct, love, spirit, faith, purity. But where, how, where are the guidelines there? 
How do I know which way to go? How, how can I define this? Where, where can I grasp onto it? Where is it made tangible? And he says this, how can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. How does one keep their way pure on a steady course towards the Lord? How does anybody set that godly example that Paul is imploring us towards? And the answer lies within Psalm 119, and he later on, uh, Paul will later on go to say it in 1 Timothy. But it's by knowing his word and abiding in it. It's by diving deep into Christ's word and sitting there. Just sitting there and soaking in it. If, if any of you are feeling like dry, right? If, you, if you're feeling like dry in a sense that you have not found a love and a passion for God's word in quite a long time, I encourage you, I encourage you as a pastor, as a friend, as a fellow believer and someone who constantly becomes dry as far as desiring God's word, read the entirety of Psalm 119, but go through it slowly. Go through just like a few verses at a time. Go into Psalm 119 and realize just how much David not only desires God's word, but once he, hold, once he grabs hold of it, he just sits with it. It's, 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 this, it's this metaphor that, that, that God's word, it's not necessarily something that pushes us forward. It's something we dive into and remain in. As Christ would say, remain in me. Remain in me. The word abide, it, even, even in the nature of the word abide, it means to just remain in, remain alongside. <clears throat> and Paul will say this to Timothy. He says, till I come, give attention to reading, to exhortation, and to doctrine." So to answer any question of how do I become an example, Paul follows up with being an example and he says, give attention to reading. Give attention to exhortation and to doctrine. Reading just means reading. (laughs) Give attention to it. Give attention to reading scripture. Not necessarily memorizing it, though that does count, but just being in it, reading it, allow it to just Be in your mind. Allow it to minister to you. Just the words. You don't have to do a Bible study on it. But first, just read it. And then it's just the exhortation to the encouragements of other teachers. The the, the teacher and pastor that Timothy was under at this time in the church of Ephesus was uh, was John the Apostle. The Apostle John. And so when Paul is saying, hey, give attention to reading, meaning read your Bible, man. And then secondly, fall under some good teaching. Exhortation, just receive it. Don't analyze, don't don't look for holes in it. Just sit under it and be exhorted, be encouraged. And then to doctrine. And doctrine essentially, it, it, it essentially means teaching, but within this context, it means get deeper. So don't just read it and don't just let other people teach you and, 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 and spoon feeds you, but dive deeper. Dive deeper into it. Where do good deeds come from? Where does righteousness come from? 
By guarding our ways according to God's word. Where did, you know, we, we, we wonder sometimes, how is David such an, a mighty and, and godly man? How did he have so much trust in the Lord? The secrets, I, I have no idea. Well, it's so clear. It's so clear that David simply sat under the tutelage of Christ's spirit via the word of God. And he didn't have the New Testament. All he had was the old, he had the law. He had the narrative, right? He had Genesis, right? He, he, got, he got to read and learn about God's faithfulness, the story of God, and watch it unfold in the way he treats his children. That alone was enough for David to be sustained in righteousness. And so you wonder how to be an example. You wonder how to be a, a good example in word and conduct and all of these things. And if you're anything like me, you find yourself doing the opposite, usually, setting a bad example. But the way we always hearken back to David as such a good example, who is a man after God's own heart, was simply because he sat under reading, exhortation, and doctrine. Paul says, until I am able to come, dive into the word of God. Give yourself to it. Listen, I don't, I don't know much. Guys, you know, like that's one. That's also a, a thing about being young is I'm just not allowed to say, well, I, you know, let me tell you something, right? I, I, I don't have that. I don't have that freedom, right? I don't have that place in your life, right? Uh, for even my peers, guys, I'm a, I'm a junior high, high school and college pastor. I Meaning, I college pastor college pastor. Like I, I, I am a pastor of people that are my age, right? And I don't have the privilege of saying, well, let me tell you, you know, like I know what's up. But one thing I do know, one thing I do know for sure, because the Bible declares it to be true, is that wisdom does not just come with age. It doesn't just come with experience or education or accolades. I know some really, really old and dumb people, right? And I know some really, really young and brilliant and wise people that I consider to pastor me more than many people I know that are older than me. I'll tell you this. Chris, who, who teaches here many times, you know? Uh, you know Chris, beard, glasses, that Chris, right? He's been my best friend since sixth grade. Sixth grade, he and I have been best friends. Dane, who, who leads worship here, I learn more from them than any other pastor I know. They're my age. Wisdom does not necessarily come from age or education or accolades, whatever it may be. It, it comes from abiding and primarily in a knowledge of who Christ is and what is declared to be true in his word. And that is not to discount any any wisdom that does come with age. But I want to encourage those of you who may feel insecure because you don't have certain life experiences as other people, who maybe have not been as heavily educated as other people, who have may not had uh, as much accolades and success in business or relationships or marriage. For, for those of you that believe that for some reason you have been robbed of wisdom because you've been robbed of experience, that's not true. Christ's word is sufficient. And it comes alive in our hearts when we sit under it and we soak in it. So much wisdom comes from it. 
Wisdom is taking the knowledge of Scripture and, and, and applying it to whatever is right in front of you. And Paul goes further in this, where he says in verse 14, Do not neglect the gift that is in you, which was given to you by prophecy with the laying on of the hands of the eldership. Meditate on these things. Give yourself entirely to them, that your progress may be evident to all. Take heed to yourself and to doctrine. Once again, he says this. Take heed to yourself. Learn. Go deeper. Continue in them. For in doing this, you will save both yourself and those who hear you. So no matter who you are, what your age is, you know, everybody in here, we, we all fall under this in some way, shape, or form where we have been doubted in whatever way, as Timothy is experiencing here. You, you have felt the weight of doubt. You have felt the, the weight of persecution. You have felt the weight of, of people undermining you in whatever sort of way. You know what it's like to feel outnumbered. Like for some reason, the people you are trying to help the most despise you the most. For some of you, it may be wayward children that you're trying to reach. Some of you have kids that for some reason, not nothing maybe of, of what you've done, but some of your kids have just strayed away from the Lord. Some of you have parents that just refuse to acknowledge you and have always refused to acknowledge you. For some of you, it's a spouse who just refuses to respect you in the way you think you deserve or love you and care for you. For your coworkers that you've always been trying to win over by success and being better than them and outplaying them, right? For those of you that have been striving so hard for recognition in whatever way, because we, we desire that, huh? You know, I, I can't be the only one here, maybe I am, that, that desires the recognition of people sometimes a little too much, right? This calls to everyone to set an example, to not push your way through, but to rather pursue the righteousness of Christ and let people watch as you pursue him and as you grow in him. Allow people to see what God does. Give, give people a window, give people a look into what Christ can do in such weak and feeble people like you and I. Allow them to peer into the greater story of the gospel, seeing who you were and who Christ is transforming you to be. Allow them to peer into that. And do you know what? That actually requires you to be vulnerable. That requires a level of vulnerability in saying that you don't have it all together and that you're not trying to prove something, but God is refining you and he's working in you. Allow people to peer into that. Allow people to see that. Also, I'll tell you guys, as a young man, for any of you that are older than me, as a young man, one of the most encouraging things to me is seeing people older than me be vulnerable and express their struggle and express how they're growing. That to me ministers to me far more than people coming up to me saying, let me tell you something. It ministers so greatly to allow people to see what God does. You know, I, I love the quote is that the, the insecurity is birthed many times out of a lack of transparency. 
Insecurity, you know, is often, often comes when we look at other people and we see where they are, but we don't see the process they're going through to get there, right? A lot of you will see people's success. You see people's, what they, what they present, right? And you'll see the success. You'll be like, why is it so easy for them, right? Why do they got it so easy? Why do they got it so good? But what they have refused to do is let you into the greater story that's taking place, Right? into the process. And it's not even, guys, growing in the Lord. It's not even to boost our own egos, right? It's not even to prove them wrong, right? And, you know, and, and, and he says this, Paul says that continue in them, for in doing this, you will save both yourself and those who hear you, right? You will save both yourself and those who hear you. I think we have this like Hollywood world of like and we have this like hollywood mindset of like we got to prove them wrong we're the underdogs right right don't let them ever look down on you you know like push forward prove them wrong beat them right that's that's kind of what we've been sold in all the sports movies right and 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 all, all of the movies that we digest and stuff it's this underdog that triumphs and proves everyone's doubts wrong and that's not necessarily what christ has in mind here in the midst of feeling insecure or not having people recognize you, it's an incredible temptation to do things purely because you want to prove them wrong. When you feel like people are doubting you, for some of you it might be a spouse, a brother or sister, a parent, a child, it is an incredible temptation amongst your friends, your coworkers, whatever it may be, to do things, to do good things purely because you want to prove to them you're better than what they think you are. That is an incredibly toxic way of life that will eat away at your heart. Because the reality is, everyone is just like you. And the only reason they're looking down on you is to feel better about themselves. Because they're insecure, just like you. (laughs) Right? And so trying to prove them wrong isn't going to (laughs) work. But being an example of how to struggle even in the midst of feeling doubted and insecure and how to struggle and remain transparent and persevere and continue to soak in the word of God and apply it to your life and not rub it in people's faces saying, look, look, I proved you wrong, but rather just go forward humbly. That's going to minister to them. It's not only going to prove them wrong. It's not only, as Peter said, to put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. It's not only going to do that. It's going to take it a step further and actually minister to them, actually save them, right? By a quiet and gentle spirit. And David, guys, hearkening back to to David, he experienced this greatly in his life as well. We see that David, you know, as a very young man, uh, rose up to a certain place of power. And the jealousy of, of the elder king, uh, Saul, uh, was so, he was so filled with rage that he actually pursued to kill David. He would send armies to go out and kill David. David was the man that, that he, was, he saved Israel. He led Israel into so many victorious battles. He was the rightful anointed king, but Saul, out of jealousy, out of whatever insecurity Saul was feeling, decided that it was a good idea to put David down, to kill him. And David, David says this, I love this, in Psalm 71, he says this, 
and your righteousness deliver me and rescue me. Incline your ear to me and save me. Be to me a rock of refuge to which I may continually come. You have given the command to save me, for you are my rock and my fortress. Rescue me, O my God, from the hand of the wicked, from the grasp of the unjust and cruel man. For you, O Lord, are my hope, my trust, O Lord, from my youth. Upon you I have leaned from before my birth. You are he who took me from my mother's womb. My praise is continually of you. Meaning David, in all of his exploits of righteousness, in all of his attempts to be a righteous man, in his being an example, it was all to continually praise God. The point is not to prove anybody wrong. The point is not to silence people. The point is to exist in the righteousness of God. The point is to exist in the righteousness of God, to build a deeper and more abiding relationship with him through his word, through prayer, through serving the community around you, uh, growing deeper with him. And by simply existing in his righteousness and giving him the glory for every single step you take forward, Whatever new success you get, it is not for building your name and proving them wrong. It's for the sake of glorifying your God and and letting people see how he takes care of his children. His praise was continually on the Lord. People around you, if you continually point to the refuge of the Lord, people around you, instead of counteracting whatever insecurity that they have, instead of projecting their insecurities on you, they will see that with all your insecurities, with all, all your shortcomings, you take it to the refuge, the tower, the shield of the Lord. Instead of them deflecting on you, they're going to see what you do and go towards the Lord as well. By the way you handle trial, by the way you handle doubt, They will see the comfort that you find in the Almighty and they will go towards him too. Draw back to a time where it was just you and Jesus. That growth, that growth of simply abiding in his word, that is where strength and wisdom streams from. in a time of abiding in the righteousness in the word of God. And I also want you guys to remember something. And, and I, I feel like the Bible does this on purpose. The Bible does this on purpose, not to just encourage young guys like me, but to encourage anyone who feels some sort of shortcoming or feels some sort of insecurity, feels any, any sort of, uh, I'm not worthy to do this. I'm not worthy to minister in this way. I'm not worthy to talk to them about the Lord. I'm not worthy to do all of these things. I think the Bible does this on purpose. If we hearken back uh, to the apostles, we have to remember their youth. We have to remember that they were all fishermen, tax collectors, you know, just dirty dudes um, that were all between the ages of 16 and like 25, you know, all of them, right? Like they were all really young and stupid, (laughs) right? You have to remember uh, Jeremiah himself, when God called him to be a prophet, what was Jeremiah's response? Do you guys know what Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah from which we get so many prophecies, from which we get Jeremiah 29, 11, everyone's favorite verse, right? 
When Jeremiah was called to be a prophet, his immediate response was this, and I will read it to you. It was, then I said, oh Lord God, behold, I can't speak. I'm a youth. That was, that was Jeremiah's response. God says, Jeremiah, you are to be my prophet. He says this, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. Right? So God said, even before you were born, I ordained you as a prophet, Jeremiah. And Jeremiah says this, I'm too young. I'm too young to be a prophet. And, and God responds promptly with saying, do not say I am a youth. For you shall go to all to whom I send you and whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of their faces for I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. He says, don't, don't tell me your excuse. You know, it's something different for all of us. For me, it is. I am a youth, right? For me, for me, the excuse I give for you might be something else, right? For me, it's like, oh, I'm way too young. Some of you say, well, I'm, I'm way too inexperienced. Oh, Lord, I, I, I don't know if I, I'm, I'm qualified for this. And God says, don't you dare. <laughs> Who do you think I am? Before I, I, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. I've ordained you for what I've ordained you. Your, your age, your socioeconomic status, your marital status, doesn't matter. If I've ordained you for something, I've ordained you for something. Don't tell me your excuse. We have to hearken back to Daniel, who was just a boy when he was a captive in Babylon and a minister to King Nebuchadnezzar. We also have to hearken back to David, who was just young and weak, the youngest of his brothers. Everyone doubted him, the young shepherd. What did they all have in common? They didn't all have in common. It wasn't necessarily the fact that they were young, but they all sat before the throne of God and soaked up his word. That's what they had in common. So there's young, stupid people who won't do anything for the Lord, but there are young people who soak in the word of God and who will be used. There are older people who will never be used by God because they refuse to abide in his righteousness, but there are older people who may have counted themselves out for whatever reason it may be, but God says, you have abided in my word. I'm calling you now. For some of you that may be uneducated, for some of you that may feel like you've gone through too many trials, you've done too many sins in the past. The point is not that they were all young. That's not what they all had in common. Yes, it is. But the mostly it was because they had sat in the presence of their Lord and listened to him. And I'll close with this thought and this question that I want us all to ask ourselves. And I'm sorry if this sermon was way too heavy for you guys. <laughs> I understand now. It's, oh, this is a little heavy-handed, Zach. All right. <laughs> let's, uh, let's, let's end with this. What shortcoming do you have? What shortcoming do you have, as Timothy did, as Paul did? Paul, you know, Paul had his dirty past. You got to remember that, right? Paul, you know, persecution, persecutor of Christians. When he came to Christ, he's like, hey guys, I'm a Christian now. They're like, stay back. <laughs> Everyone has their thing. Tell me, what shortcoming do you have that the maker of the stars cannot transcend? What shortcoming do you have that the person who holds the entire galaxies in the palm of his hand cannot simply say, it's okay. I know. 
What possible shortcoming, what possible character flaw would you have that would keep you from the God of the universe, the makers of the heavens and the earth, to say, I know, we're going to work through it. There is no shortcoming you have that God cannot transcend. There is no flaw that you have that he cannot work through. Let me tell you something. It may never end. Whatever Whatever that flaw is, whatever that little sin that you have, hopefully by, by the working of the Holy Spirit, you know, you will, you will rise above that. But do you know what? There, there are some things, there's some, some thorns in your side, some workings of your flesh that you will, you will struggle with probably the rest of your life. Not, not to say that you will never be sanctified because God is in the process of sanctifying you, but to say this, that don't wait for something to just be over until you start pursuing the Lord and what he has for your life. Don't wait for you to be older. Don't wait for you to gain more experience. Don't wait for another season of your life to end first before you start the one that God has called you into. Whatever area you are in life right now, right here, for Timothy it was youth, for you it might be something else. Whatever area in life you are in currently, Understand that God works through it. God works in it. God works despite it. And then if you allow him to and you sit under the teaching and the reading and the doctrine, as you sit under these things, and as God transforms your heart, he will use you as he used Timothy. He will use you as he used Paul, as he used the apostles, as he used Daniel, as he used David, as he used Ruth, as he used Esther, as he used everybody who was doubted because of their status, because of their culture, because of their age, because of their gender, whatever it may be. God works through it. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, I just pray, God, that um, this might have been, uh, Lord, a depressing sermon. It might have been an encouraging one. Whatever it might have been, Lord, I pray that whatever was said of me, God, would be forgotten. Whatever uh, rings true from your Holy Spirit and your word would be remembered. And I pray, God, that we would be able to not overcome our shortcomings in and of ourselves, Lord, but allow you to work in us and through us without, without us resisting you, God. I pray that we give up in certain ways, Lord, that we just kind of give up uh, wrestling with these things, but rather allow you to work through them and in them and allow you to abide in us, Lord. And so, Holy Spirit, we invite you here. Lord, Holy Spirit, we invite you. And, and, and we just echo the cries of Isaiah when he said, here am I, Lord, send me. Where, where we just, oh, with open arms, just say, oh, Lord, you know, all, all I have is yours. All I am is all I have, <laughs> Lord. All I am is all I have to give, Lord. It's, it's just, this is me. This is who I am. Use me. I pray that all of us would be able to, you know, offer up our lives with open hands like that. Lord, for you do say, Lord, uh, whoever wishes to follow me must first deny himself, pick up his cross, and come after me. May we do that, Lord. May we put to death any of these petty insecurities, Lord, that we may have. May we overcome by your Holy Spirit and by the working of your will in our lives. We love you, we praise you, and 
just work in us. In Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen.